Mark chapter 6. Take your Bibles. If you have your Bibles or a device that has the Bible in it, would you just raise it up good and high and let's make the enemy good and angry this morning. All right, wonderful. And uh, if you don't have it, the words, so the scripture will be on the screen. But I hope that you come. Uh, I hope you will come with your Bibles and prepare to hear from the Word of God. If you're new with us, we, we go through books of the Bible. Right now we're going through the Gospel of Mark. I believe this is our 18th uh, message through the Gospel of Mark. And there is a sermon guide in your bulletin, so if you'd like to take some notes, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Last week, we were in the first six verses of Mark chapter 6, and we looked at Jesus' second and his final visit to Nazareth, the small town where he had grown up. And as we saw, for the most part, the people who were very familiar with him, who knew him as just a boy, they were unbelieving, and they rejected him now for the second time. And the first part of verse number 6 gives us a glimpse into a very, very rare response of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus would go, everywhere he would teach, everywhere he would do miracles, the people were always amazed at him. But there's a a statement there at the beginning of verse number 6 that Jesus marveled or he was amazed or he was emotional. And we only see that two times in Scripture. Once he says it, that he was amazed at, at someone's belief or their faith. Now he says... He is marveled or emotional or amazed at their unbelief. And, and now as we come to verse number 7, we move into a transitional period in the life and ministry of Jesus uh, as we come up to verse number 7. Up to this point, it was Jesus who had been doing all the teaching. It was Jesus who had been doing all of the miracles uh, and the casting out of the unclean spirits. But in verse number 7, a definite transition happens as Jesus begins to send out the apostles and his followers. Luke records for us that it's not just the 12 that Jesus sends out, but it's actually 70 of his followers that he sends out two by two. And the reason that we have a break in our text, if you notice, it's chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and then we're going to skip over to verses 30 and 32, is because Mark kind of breaks this story up with the story of John the Baptist and him going to prison which leads to his, his, him being beheaded. But so today we're gonna, we're gonna read this story in verse 7 through 13, and then we're going to go to verse number 30 and 32, where Mark kind of gives us the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, let's, let's stand together, and I'm gonna read aloud. You can read there silently as we begin in verse number 7. And he, Jesus, called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Again, Luke's account of this gives us more detail, and that is that there were more than just the twelve, there were seventy. Verse 8, And he commanded them that they should take nothing of their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house... There abide till ye depart from that place, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and they preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Then skip down to verse number 30. 
And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus. So he sent them out. They've gone out. We don't know exactly how long, but now they've come back together. Uh, he, he calls them unto himself and told them, they, they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they that had no leisure so much as to eat, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And this is the word of God to us this morning. So I hope as we go to the Lord in prayer, you will surrender your own heart underneath the authority of Scripture as we as we go into this time. Father, we do thank you that as we're here together today that we have the assurance of the authority of your Scriptures, your Word to us, and Lord, we do submit ourselves this morning underneath its authority. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, challenge us. Thank you, Lord, for how our hearts have been encouraged through the music and challenged through the music and who you are and all that you've done uh, in and through our lives. We're so thankful for it. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In just a few months, I'm very excited this summer, uh, a group, a small group from our church, about a dozen or so, are going to be heading off to Honduras, and they are going to be going on a mission trip, a short-term mission trip there. And for some of them, it is their first time to go on a mission trip. And as a pastor, I'll just tell you, I am, I'm really excited about this. Next year, we're going to take another trip, and we're going to do this hopefully every year or so, because it's my desire that at some point, most of our church family is able to go on a mission trip and to experience to, to see what God is doing around the world. I can still remember, I've been on a number of mission trips now, but I can still remember my first trip to Ghana, West Africa, how nervous I was and, and all the newness of that. And as I was reading this, I thought there, there must be these nerves in these apostles, these followers of Jesus as they're going out. And this is really kind of a little bit of a training for those who are going on this mission trip because, as I've said in the, in the title, uh, Made for a Mission, this is really their first, the apostles and the followers of Jesus up until this point, they've been watching Jesus minister, they've been watching Jesus do miracles, they've been watching him teach, and now he is transitioning and saying, now it's time for you to go and to do these things. So it, it's a trial run, so to speak. In just a little bit, at the end of Matthew, Jesus is going to give them the Great Commission. He's going to tell them, I'm going to leave earth, I'm going back to heaven, I'm going back to my Father, and you are going to have this major task to carry the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 1, the angel comes as Jesus is ascending, is ascending back into heaven and tells them that he gives them power to go and to be his witnesses. So this is kind of waiting out. This is their first time to go out without Jesus. And so it's an important passage uh, for all of us this morning because it gives us some key elements for effective ministry as ambassadors and delegates of Christ. Uh, different from the apostles here, we have some limitations today that the original apostles didn't have, namely the ability to do signs and, and wonders and miracles. We have yet the same message and, generally speaking, the same responsibility. So there's great application in this this morning for believers. In this passage, Jesus also shows us the importance of delegation and leadership, of equipping. 
And we're going to talk more about that tonight. But equipping and delegating, which is God's plan, it allows for gospel ministry to multiply and to, to go much further than one person can do. And he shows us that. So it, it's a transition from being simply a, a learner or a student which the disciples were up to this point, watching Jesus, learning from him. It's a transition from just being a learner and a student who is gathered in for instruction. Now they are going to be sent out as ambassadors, sent out for proclamation. And for all of us, our learning, listen, our learning is not just to have more knowledge. Our learning is not just so that we can accumulate more wisdom. It is to be used for the kingdom of God, which means this, we're to come in together and we are to get into the word of God and we're to take in so that we might go out and so that we might give out. We see the importance of that in this in this passage. It's time now for the disciples, the apostles to go into the field and to put into practice what they've been watching and witnessing Jesus do for the last 18 to 20 months. They have been in school and now it's time for them to go and to put it into practice. And as we go through this text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the responsibility of the followers of Jesus, which would include you and I. We're going to see the responses of those that received the proclamation and then the report and the rest that follows their short-term mission trip. Notice, first of all, the responsibilities of those who are the followers of Jesus. We see this in verses 7 through 9. We see it again in verses 12 and 13. And the first thing that we see in this passage that is the responsibility of us as Christians is to exercise trust, to exercise faith in God. And we see this in verse number 8 and 9. Look at it again. They should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And remember now, for, for the last 18 to 20 months, they have been with Jesus and they have never really been that far from his presence and, and all their needs were met. In fact, if, if a meal was not already provided for them, Jesus would just speak the meal into existence. And so they were, as long as they were in his presence, they were comfortable. They knew that he was going to provide for them. But what they had not yet experienced was when he was not with them. Were they going to be taken care of when he was not with them? In fact, when Jesus gives them the great commission at the end of Matthew, you may remember the very last verse in Matthew's gospel as he tells them that he is going to send them out. The very last verse that he gives them And the very last promise that he gives them, which is also a promise to you and I, is this. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And how many of you are thankful for that promise? It's still true today in 2023. He is still with us. And how many of you are thankful for the Spirit of God that lives in us as believers? That helps us, that comforts us, that guides us and directs us. And so he is teaching them this. This is a trip of extremes. It's, it's a trip of bare necessities. And this trip this summer is going to be much the same. It is, it's a trip kind of of bare necessities. But it wouldn't always be this way. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is rehearsing <coughs> this very account that we're looking at today. And listen to what he says in Luke 22, beginning in verse 35. He said unto them, when I sent you without purse, he's talking about this This text, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. 
Then said he unto them, but now, in other words, it's not always going to be like this. This is for a lesson. But now he that hath the purse, let him take it. And likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So again, it's a training session teaching them. What's he trying to teach them? Teaching them that they need to learn to live dependently upon God. Even when they could not see him, to be able to put their trust and their confidence and their faith. You say, how can we do that? We remember the character of God. We, rem- we remember that we serve a God who is all power, all powerful. He says, all power is given unto you to be my witnesses. We were reminded that he is all present, that he is everywhere, that he goes before us, that he is omniscient, and that he will strengthen us, and that he will guide us, and he will direct us. And so he is calling us to live dependently upon him, to exercise trust in him. And we need to, today, in 2023, we need to, to determine to live and be willing to live dependent on whatever God provides. Paul said this later in ministry. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot in ministry, and I know what it's like to have very little in ministry. And then he makes this great statement. He says, in whatsoever state I'm in, I have learned to be what? Content. Content. An element of trust is contentment. And this is greatly lacking today in our world, especially of those that claim to still have the power to heal and to expel demons because people who are sick and people who are dying are desperate enough to give them money under the illusion that somehow they can buy a healing. And these quote-unquote preachers would say, send me your money and you will get healthy. Send me your money and you will get rich. But in contrast to that, in contrast to what we see today, that was not at all what the apostles were given. They had this power to, to heal, to expel demons. And yet Jesus told them, when you arrive in town and the people begin to see this, listen, They're going to be attracted to you. They're all going to want to host you. Everyone's going to want to be close to you. And false teachers would travel during this time and they would stay with one family and they would exhaust the resources of that family and then they would go on to the next house. Paul talks about this actually when he talks about that the false teachers go from house to house, leading silly women captive, getting whatever favors they want out of that house, and then going to the next house and the next house, padding their pockets. And in 2023, we still see that in our world. Beware of that. That is not God's intent. He he says to these apostles, notice in verse number 10, when you go, wherever you enter into a house, notice this, stay there until you leave town. In other words, when, when someone who is more wealthy comes to faith and they want to host you, you just stay where you were. You just stay put. In other words, you're not able to be bought. And of course, with this power and potential, with this power, the potential for them to be corrupted, it was a, it was a massive temptation. The idea here is to be content. Don't, don't sell yourself to the highest bidder. So he says, first of all, as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of Christ, we need to learn to exercise trust 
in God. We need to learn contentment. We need to learn that things of this world come and go. We don't need them. We may have a lot. We may have a little. Whatever the Lord allows, we are content because our focus is not on this earth. It's not on accumulating earthly things. It is on the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can have eternal life. Exercise trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. He, he will provide all of your needs. Secondly, not only are we to exercise trust, but briefly, we are to exemplify compassion. And we see this in verse 7 and, th- and 13. This is the ministry to the physical and emotional needs of the people that they will preach to. And remember that Jesus has exemplified this for them as he's gone throughout. He's fed them. He's provided for them physically. He has healed them. He has healed the sick. Uh, he has anointed many with oil and, and he has, he's cast out evil spirits. And notice what it says in verse number 13. What they did, they cast out many devils. They anointed with oil many that were sick and they healed them. And so they they learn from this, but they also learn this from Jesus, that these physical provisions are really for one main uh, reason, and that is so that they can preach the gospel, which is a spiritual blessing that God would give them. Salvation. They weren't to get rich off of their God-ordained powers. In Matthew's account, it says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, just jot down that reference because I don't believe it's in your notes. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Then notice this phrase, freely ye have received, freely give. Don't charge people to minister to them. Don't charge them to heal them. Don't charge them to cast out demons. And by the way, this is a message that greatly needs to be preached in 2023. Exemplify compassion. Exercise trust. Number three, and this is the primary responsibility, proclaim salvation. Proclaim salvation. We see this in verse number 12. Notice again, and they went out, and I want you to mark this little statement, and they preached that men should, what? Repent. That's their message. It's not a message of, hey, come do what you want to do and we'll pacify you and we'll make you feel good about your sin if you'll come to us. No, it is a message of repentance. A repentance. To these people, primarily, it was, it was a call to repent of the sin of self-righteous religion. And to come into the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. The parallel passage again of this is in Luke, Luke chapter 9. And it says this, that he sent them, Luke records this, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And Mark records that Jesus went about, Mark chapter 1 verse 14, verse 15, verse 27, verse 34, verse 39, all throughout chapter 1 of Mark it says, we saw that Jesus came preaching the kingdom And later on when the apostles are sent finally and permanently, they preach the great glory of the cross, didn't they? They preach the great glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the message of the kingdom. And listen, that has become our message today, the cross, that yes, Jesus came and he gave his life on a cross for you and I and he was buried, but he rose victorious over the grave and he did that for our sin and your sin. 
I want you to see for a moment, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Peter gives us this great example right after Pentecost and he stands to preach. What does he preach? He doesn't preach some watered-down, soft message. He listened to this in Acts chapter 2, look, beginning in verse number 22. Ye men of Israel. So he's, he's teaching, preaching to the religious elite of his day. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, Lotus verse 23, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did not my... Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. And he goes on to preach to them uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel... Know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified. He has made him both Lord and Christ, both Lord and King. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, what? Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And and then later on it says this, There is salvation in none other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the King. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. That's why Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, We preach Christ crucified. This is our message. If we want to be faithful messengers and representatives of Christ, we have only one message. The message of salvation is Jesus crucified and risen. And we see here that that these apostles, these followers, they exemplified obedience. They did exactly what they were told to, to do. They preached, they healed, they delivered. And again, humanly speaking, these were this was not a group of flattering, uh, flattering men. They had no approval of the religious elite of their their day. They, they had no educational background, formal training as the culture would see it. No connection with the religious establishment. Most of them fishermen. They struggled within with the same things you and I struggle with. They struggled with doubts, with mis- misunderstandings, with frustrations. And they just did what they were told to do. They exemplified obedience. And listen, church, application for you and I. To make disciples is not a suggestion given by our Lord for you and I to consider. It is a commandment given to each of us to be obeyed. And we either exercise obedience or disobedience. Matthew's account of this 
gives us a lot more of the details of what Jesus told them. And it makes us respect, respect them even more so when he told them what they were going to encounter. And they don't encounter all this in this short-term mission trip, but they certainly encounter it all when they go out into all the world and they give their lives as martyrs for Jesus Christ. But Jesus foretold this to them in Matthew chapter 10. Notice verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. He says, I'll give you the words to say in that moment. And then in verse number 21, it says this, The brother shall deliver up the brother till death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men. Why? For my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecuted you in the city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. He goes on in verse number 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. In other words, all that you will experience, I have already experienced. And yet they're... They were simply obedient to do what God had commanded them to do. And listen, church, I forewarn you, as Jesus did the apostles, your message will not always be accepted. Your, your message will not always be looked, at, looked upon as, as love and kindness. And yet we're still called to give the message of the gospel. Which makes us honestly take a, a look within at our own personal sin. They preached, repent, repent. It's a bold message. It wasn't a watered-down, feel-good message from somebody on TV who had a beautiful big smile. It was just repent, repent. We see the responsibility of the followers of Jesus. And then secondly, we see the responses. And I will move quickly through these, but we see them in verses 10 and 11. There's two responses that Jesus prepares them for, and you and I need to be prepared for. One, thank, thank the Lord for hospitality. Aren't you thankful that as you go out, there will be some who will receive you into their home? I have enjoyed one of the great privileges of being in ministry is being able to have missionaries and other people into our home and other ministers of the gospel into our home. But we see this in, in the text, verse 10, In what place ye enter into a house, abide till ye depart from there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 talks about this is so important within the body of Christ that we be given to hospitality. Why? Because it's a cold cold and lonely world out there who rejects by and large Jesus Christ and the message. And one hallmark of a Christian community is that it is meant to offer safe and welcoming space to ministers of the gospel. So there's the first response is hospitality and we thank God for that but then he warns them not only will you receive hospitality but you will also receive hostility in verse 11 whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you 
when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. And I wish we had time to go into all of that statement. But the assumption here is that calling these highly religious people who have spent their whole life patting themselves on the back for all of their religious activity and following all the ceremonies and all the rituals, that the hard sell for these people is for them to recognize that none of that stuff will get you eternal life. As we saw last week, location and knowledge and even being born up in a Christian heritage will not give you eternal life. There are no grandchildren in the family of God, only children. Every person must come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. We looked at that this morning in faith groups. And by the way, if you miss faith groups, you're missing a wonderful time of Bible study, fellowship, prayer. And this morning we went over last week's message just in depth, diving into it deeper. We had such a wonderful time. But we saw that when Jesus preached this message both times to the, to the people of Nazareth where he grew up, they rejected it. But the first time they tried to kill him for his message. The message of repentance is not always going to be received well. And so we ready ourselves for rejection. This is why the Apostle Paul challenged his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Then notice what he says in verse number 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he says, No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We ready ourselves for the responses. We're engaged in our responsibility. And then lastly, we see the report and the rest in verse number 30 and 32. They embrace accountability, accountability by delivering a report of their trip back to the Lord. We see this in verse number 30. The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They were told to do two things, preach and demonstrate power that was given to them by God. And so they come back and this is what they said. We have preached And this is what has happened through the the power that was delegated to us. There's accountability. And by the way, accountability is something that is greatly needed in every church. We ought to be accountable to each other. It's really why you should be a part of a small group, of a faith faith group. It's easy to come in on a Sunday morning and come to worship. And I certainly don't discourage you from doing that. But it's easy to slip in and slip out and never to have anybody that you're accountable to. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about this. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. More important than having someone watch for your physical well-being is that you have someone who watches for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you, the Scripture says. This is stewardship. We understand that we are accountable. Accountable for what? For our obedience. What what obedience? To the proclamation of the gospel. Are we doing what God has called us to do? 
The apostles were mutually accountable to each other. No doubt part of the reason that they went out two by two. They were fellow servants. But even more important than our accountability to each other, I want you to understand this this morning. More important than you being accountable to me or to any other brother and sister in Christ is for you and I to realize that first and foremost, we will stand before God one day and we will be accountable to Him. With what we did with His message, with what we did with the responsibility to go, He says in Romans 14, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And this is just a reminder this morning that yes, we should be accountable to each other, but first and foremost, know this, you and I will stand before God and we will give an account of what we did with our responsibilities. Tonight, Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for those this morning who have come to join our church and also to identify with you publicly through baptism. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us as we go out to remember our responsibility to be your witnesses. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.